First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm your host, Andy Metz, and I am joined once again by my co-host tonight, Steve Fetch. How are you doing tonight, Fetch? Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. So, in what some people are calling the craziest opening weekend of the tournament ever, which I don't know I necessarily believe that's true, but in a lot of ways you can say it it is, Kansas survived to make it through two two tougher than it needed to be games uh, to move on to the second weekend. So, first of all, um, before we dive into the Kansas games, I think I think you can agree with me that probably the craziest single result was the UMBC winning over number one seed Virginia, like overall top seed Virginia. Um, and, and we can talk a little bit about that game if you want, but what, what game do you think, other than that one, was the craziest result of the entire tournament so far? Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. Um, the one that kind of sticks out to me, and I don't know if it was just because it was, uh, right after the Kansas game or what, but that Michigan-Houston game um, where Michigan hit the three at the buzzer to win it and, and really got kind of two wide-open passes almost um, was kind of the most surprising thing. Maybe not the full game result, obviously, but just you know coming down the stretch, it seemed like they were going to lose, and then they, they managed to pull it out. Um, so that that's probably the one that stuck out to me. Uh, as far as full full game results, and we don't need to do like a full recap, obviously, but um, I think it's got to be between uh, Syracuse beating Michigan State in the second round. Uh, but for me, I think I'm going to go with with Texas A&M just kind of murdering North Carolina. I mean, Texas A&M is a really talented team, and certainly the result in and of itself isn't probably the most surprising, but just kind of the way they did it and, and how bad they beat them really stood out to me, and I was kept kept uh thinking uh Carolina was gonna come back and uh just kinda never did and and uh A and M just I mean demoralized them which was that part was surprising as well. You don't really see that happen to uh 
to North Carolina too often. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't. If you take the entire season into account, I think it's a little surprising that A and M did that. But what we saw with a lot of the upsets, um, not 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 all of them, but but a lot of the big ones, it was a team that had shown, you know, that it was really talented and had shown the ability to kind of uh, put it all together in flashes this year, dominating a team that has shown the ability to kind of have huge lapses. So like North Carolina, you know, that out of nowhere lost to Wofford at home. Um, kind of showed that they have the ability to fall flat on their face. Um, whereas Texas A&M, you know, especially with that with that huge win against West Virginia beginning of the season, like they've shown at times this year that if they can put it all together, then they can really step it up and, and really take take it to someone. So, you know, based off of ceilings and floors of the of the respective teams, I don't know that that was necessarily as surprising. Um, but given the way everybody had been playing over the course of the entire season, yeah, that, that was definitely a surprise. Um, I think the one that, that was really surprising to a lot of people, but, you know, I, I actually kind of – I don't think I called it exactly how it happened, but I was definitely, um, you know, kind of seeing that this was definitely a possibility was Arizona losing to Buffalo. Like, I didn't think that that was going to be a, a blowout like it was, but, you know, for those that haven't been paying attention to my Twitter or anything else that, I, you know, I've – thrown out there, you know, I, I mentioned the fact that I kind of called it with, uh, you know, the uh, com- comparison of Arizona to Oklahoma, where they have the one big star with a lot of decent guys around them, maybe even, you know, guys that you could consider to be in that top tier when they're on, but but the inconsistency of those teams and the over-reliance on a singular person. Um, and, and, and I mean, we, we saw that. Buffalo took DeAndre Ayton completely out of that game and the rest of the team wasn't really able to do anything. So I think it was a surprise nationally, but, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily too surprised. I actually had picked that in my bracket. So I, I was really happy to see that one pull through. Um, but the UMBC game, obviously, I think has to be the biggest upset of the tournament. It's just the, the way that they dominated Virginia, um, you know, and really I think it's kind of a byproduct of the style that Virginia plays. You know, I've, I was talking with a bunch of different people and we were saying, you know, if it was ever going to happen, you know, it's going to be a team that is very, very defensive, um, very defensive oriented, you know, has a better chance of getting upset and very slow pace, which fits Virginia to a T because every single one of those gives an opportunity for the underdog, you know, to get really hot. And it's a, it's a much bigger swing in that in that case. So while I am surprised that it actually happened, that's the perfect kind of team that you would have to have and the kind of matchup you would have to have for it to actually happen. So. Which, of course, opens up, you know, the path for a team like Kansas State. Um, before we or before we get into them, though, and the rest of the Big 12, we will jump into them later. I do want to go ahead and kind of talk about the Kansas game. So let's start with that game against Penn. Um, you know, B- Bill Self had said that Azubuke was going to be a emergency-only type situation, and we get, I think it was about halfway through the first half, we were down, and Azubuke goes ahead and checks in for four minutes. Um, were you surprised that they had to go to him that early or um, I, I guess what were your general thoughts about that pen game? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of almost thought that Bill Self would, would take the chance and just sit him uh, the whole game regardless. Although you never want to lose to a 16, obviously. Uh, so that, that, you know, made sense that uh, he put him in, but I, I was never really uh, too worried. I was getting a little upset with our effort and stuff, but you know, for the most part, they were getting pretty good looks and stuff and, and kind of keeping Penn from getting really good looks. So 
uh, I was never really nervous about losing the game or anything like that. It was just more of a more of an effort thing. I mean, Devontae Graham had some a uh, couple of early turnovers. Um, couple of guys, uh, obviously this is, you know, uh, a week ago now, so I don't remember it uh, totally, but, you know, there were a couple of times where, you know, guys would kind of watch rebounds hit the floor and, and Penn would grab them and stuff and just kind of effort stuff like that. But uh, once they, you know, picked it up a little bit, they were able to, to turn it on. And um, offense was a little bit of a, a struggle at times. They kind of went through a couple of stretches there where, they couldn't really score, but uh, their defense actually uh, played pretty well. Um, Penn only shot like 41% from two, which is, you know, kind of regardless of opponent, really good. So that was that was nice to see, and, and in the end, uh, it was a, a pretty comfortable win and, and almost, I think, even more comfortable than the score would suggest given kind of the, the way the looks went in the first half. Yeah, yeah, I mean – the one thing to kind of keep in mind is that, you know, the lowest that the win probability ever got for Kansas, according to the Ken Palm uh, win probability graph, was 69.2%. And that was when they were down 21 to 11 in the first half there. So, you know, I don't know that this one ever really got to the point where you were too worried about it. Um, but given the way, you know, that we had started um, games like against Oklahoma State and things like that, it kind of had this, a similar sort of feel to it. Um, that it could potentially get out of hand if something wasn't done. So I thought bringing Azubuke in was a good move at that point, even if it was more of just a kind of wake up to everybody else of, you know, you need to start paying attention, you need to get in there and actually get stuff done. So, um, and yeah, uh, according to Ken Palm, Azubuke only got three minutes. So, yeah, he was only in there for a short burst. It kind of calmed everyone down and it allowed them to, to really get that turned around and Devontae Graham really turned it on after that point. So um, while I would have liked Bill Self to be able to just say, we're going to go ahead and sit him no matter what. Um, it definitely seemed to turn the tide, even if he didn't really stay in to have a huge presence on his own. So um, Devontae Graham was obviously the standout performer from that game, scoring 29 points to lead all scorers. So Gerald Vick came in second for K. Actually, he tied with a bunch of other people for second um, with, with 14 points. So, I mean, other than, obviously Graham balling out and doing what he needed to do was, was there anyone else that kind of stood out in that game for you? Well, I think, you know, you mentioned Vic, he had a, a really nice game and, and we'll probably get to him more uh, for the Seton Hall game. Um, someone who stood out to me uh, kind of in a bad way was speed. I know he was two or three from three, but uh, just kind of really looked off his game uh, in that first one, both uh, offensively and defensively. And, Looks like he was just kind of struggling uh, to get open looks and, and kind of force some things inside when he didn't. And, you know, that is kind of his game to kind of force it sometimes from two when he's not getting those open threes. But it's, it's you know, one of the rare times where it's a detriment to the offense just because of uh, all the other talent they have and, and all the guys that they can go to. But, um, you know, that would be another one that stood out. And, and one, I think, you know, we're going to we're gonna probably rip on Mitch Lightfoot a little bit for, uh, what happened in the Seton Hall game. So I think we should credit them for a uh, pretty nice game played uh, against Penn, really held down uh, their big man, A.J. Broder, um, and did a, a good enough job uh, on offense. Almost got a, a double trouble, which I think would have been the first uh, of his career. So uh, probably should have left him in, probably should have let him get one of those like pick-and-pop threes or something like that that he likes to take sometimes so he could have gotten a double-double. But overall, I thought uh, he had a, a really nice game once he settled down. Yeah, yeah, he uh, had nine nine defensive rebounds in that game, so he was the only guy that had double-digit rebounds. 
um, was really our inside presence, especially with, with Azubuke not really playing much. Um, yeah, so DeSouza only got 10 minutes. Azubuke got, got three. So Light, Light, Lightfoot played 27 minutes in that game. Um, and other than Vic, ha- actually had the highest offensive rating of anyone on the team. So, um, you know, small small sample size, be damned there. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, yeah, Penn, Penn put up a good fight. Uh, you know, we, we've we seen that from 16 seeds in the past. They obviously weren't intimidated, um, but ultimately they just didn't have the horses to hang with Kansas. Not really too much of a surprise. I, I was, you know, it was it was obviously ironic that later the next day, um, you know, the, the team that I think people probably would have picked last other than, well, I, I think Texas Southern was probably the one that people would have picked last in terms of who's most likely to upset their number one, but um, you know, I, I wouldn't have argued with anybody who said it was UMBC just because of how strong Virginia was supposed to be. So it's it's kind of ironic that you know the best 16 seed in the in the history or the recent history anyway didn't really come that close to upsetting Kansas um, when we actually ended up having an upset. So, all right, any any other final thoughts on the Penn game? No, I'm I'm uh, I'm ready to hit the uh, the season yeah. game. I think yeah, yeah, I didn't. Uh, we're we're here for yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say I don't know that there was too much else to say about the Penn game. So let's jump into the Seton Hall game. Obviously, there's a lot of storylines to talk about here um, from, you know, I think I think we have both agreed that Seton Hall was probably the team we didn't want to face. And, of course, we lucked into facing them, lucky us, um, especially since, you know, Angel Delgado inside, absolute monster inside. Kansas didn't really have any answer for him. You mentioned earlier that we were going to kind of lay into Lightfoot during this for this game and I think that's really the best place to start. Lightfoot really didn't have an answer at all for, for Delgado when he was in. Azubuke came back to play twenty two minutes. And even even Azubuke I don't think necessarily played too well against Delgado. He had Delgado had twenty four points, went ten for seventeen from two, um, you know, made four three throw four free throws, but had twenty three rebounds, so he just completely went off. Um, what were your thoughts on the way that Kansas played defense? Uh, is it is it really a concern for them going forward? Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm hoping they uh, kind of learned from their mistakes. I mean, I get that uh, Silvio De Sosa and I kind of kind of talked with Jesse Newell about this on Twitter a little bit, um, and, and we talked about it in the last podcast as well, where De Sosa doesn't you know know the playbook uh, as well as Mitch does, and so that's why Mitch. Uh, gets those minutes, uh, which is fine. I mean, I, I understand that you know Mitch gets gets those minutes because he knows the playbook, and and that does come in handy. But you know, when when he's given up so much size to Angel Delgado, he's given up like forty pounds to him, and, and so it's yeah, we're ragging on him, but it's not really his fault. You know what I mean? I mean, what's he supposed to do? Um, it's it's more I think on Bill Self to to realize that it's probably not a, a very good matchup for him and. If you want to get him those minutes, you either have to have him in there with another big guy or, or match when Delgado goes to the bench, that's when he can come in uh, or something to, to get him those minutes. Um, as for Azubuki, you know, I, I looked this up on, on uh, Saturday uh, during the game, and, and now, of course, I've forgotten it and can't find it, but he was uh, a plus, like, a thousand, and, you know, a single game plus minus doesn't really mean anything, but, you know, it just showed that they were – uh, a lot better than Seton Hall when he was in the game, and uh, quite a bit worse than him when he was out of the game. Yeah, so yeah, I was. That's uh, one. So I, I was listening to the uh, the Lawrence Journal World podcast, the the K Sports Hour, and they actually were talking about that um, that they were plus twenty five 
with Azubuke in the game and minus 21 with him out of the game. There you go. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and that, I mean, that, that makes sense, you know, given what, what he was doing. And, and obviously, you know, he wasn't, um, you know, completely stopping Delgado, but, but certainly better than uh, Mitch or, or the couple minutes that they had this OCN. And, and offensively, he's obviously just uh, a lot more of a load uh, to handle inside than those other two guys are. So uh, he's definitely important. And it's, it's one of those things, you know, we said this uh, the first podcast of the year, and here we are now that, uh, KU's entire season really comes down to whether the refs that they get in the Sweet 16 uh, are trigger happy with a touch ball or two on them uh, yeah. or not. Because if, if they are, I mean, that's probably it for them, you know, even though I think that Clemson is an all right team and we'll, we'll get into this, but Clemson's, a, you know, not the worst team to handle in terms of when Azubuki's on the bench. But, um, you know, if they don't call those ticky-tack balls on them, I think they're going to gonna go ahead. So it's just weird that you know, you play four months of basketball, uh, and it's just going to depend on something uh, crazy like that. But um, overall, yeah, I mean, Delgado was was great. Um, the only problem I had was some of his uh, flopping when uh, Azubuki would get the ball, and he knew he couldn't stop him. But uh, you know, whatever, I guess. Um, but but other than that, uh, you know, I thought uh, Kansas played. Uh, reasonably well on both ends of the floor. The other problem I had, I guess, with um, with their defense was they did a lot of weird, like, over-trapping and, and over-helping and stuff when uh, they didn't really need to. I mean, they weren't getting killed off the dribble by Seton Hall's uh, perimeter guys. Really, the only guys that were, or the only guy that was giving them trouble was uh, Delgado. And, you know, so sure, when Mitch is in, you can do that a little bit, but uh, when it's as a bookie, I don't really see the need to do that. But uh, normally it would be fine. Um, but they just, uh, you know, gave up a ton of open looks from three and Seton Hall shot like 42% or something like that and uh, really almost made them pay for it. And, and I think if they do that uh, on, on Friday, uh, Clemson's got a pretty good chance to make them pay for it. So hopefully that's another thing that they learn from and, and are going to fix over the course of this week. Yeah, and, and like we talked about the last game, you know, this game really wasn't imped out too much. There was one point where Seton Hall was actually favored if, if you go by the in-game win percentage, um, and that was when it was 24-21 with about five minutes to go in the first half, and that's it. Like, there they were at a 47.4% for KU to win. Um, but after that, it swung right back to Kansas, and it just continued to climb there. To be honest, this game, I don't – wasn't actually as close as the final score indicates. The final score being, you know, 83-79. It was only a four-point game. But really, Carrington, Kadeen Carrington, at at the end of the game, just went absolutely ballistic. I think he scored like 14 points in the span of like a minute and a half of of game time. Um, Just, you know, impossible for him to miss. And without him doing that, Kansas probably wins comfortably by eight or nine points. Um, They were hitting their free throws at the end. Um, except for a couple of them that uh, was was a little bit out of character, but for the most part, yeah, it was like were, it was like seven when they started fouling, right? Yeah, yeah, they they were up, I believe, seven or eight when they started fouling. Um, you know, Kansas made enough keys of at arm's length, and then especially in the last like thirty seconds, Carrington hit basically three straight threes in a row, um, with the last one coming like right at the buzzer to to you know allow them to beat the spread, which made a lot of people upset, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, this game wasn't really as close at the end. Like it was a it was a hotly contested game throughout. But Kansas had a nice, comfortable lead, and 
Seton Hall got hot at the end and to make it closer than it really seemed. So, um, you know, I, I don't know that there's necessarily too much to be concerned about with this game. Um, especially, you know, Devontae Graham took that nasty hit on the, uh, the handoff there running into Azubuke's shoulder. Um, and was stunned for a little bit. Luckily for Kansas, it happened at basically at the end of the first half. So he was able to go and, and recover during halftime and not really worry too much and come back out and finish the game. So we weren't, you know, we didn't really suffer too much from that. But um, De- Devontae Graham definitely had an off game, only scored eight points. Uh, but, you know, he, he had nine assists still. Um, he was able to kind of be a, a decent defensive force. And he was, you know, he, he was making good decisions getting Malik Newman a lot more involved, I think, than Newman would have been comfortable being on his own because this is Devontae's team. So there was an article, I forget who wrote it, talking about how, you know, towards the end of the game, Malik Newman was bringing up the ball and looked over to Devontae, and Devontae, you know, just gave him a little nod to say, you go ahead and take it, um, which is, you know, kind of shows the the leadership. And, and I, I forget, I believe it was in the same article, you know, someone made a mention of, how Devontae Graham is essentially like, um, I believe it was, uh, I'm trying to remember which old, which other player it was. Um, I forget which point guard it was. I think you want to, I want to say it was Sharon Collins. Um, but the main difference being that, you know, if Sharon was having an off night, he would still try to be the guy and still continue to shoot. Whereas Devontae Graham has enough of a, you know, a, a, a sense with this team to know when to give it off to other people to let them be the star for the game. So um, definitely the kind of, uh, quality you want to have in your senior leader. Um, so hopefully that, that pays off for us. He can continue to be that successful, uh, whether he's actually making his shots or not. Yeah, that was, uh, that was Jesse Newell with the, uh, okay. with it was Newell. I don't, I don't remember which other point guard he compared it to, but I'm going to go find um, it while I, we're talking. <laughs> I did make the, uh, the Sharon Collins, uh, comparison on Twitter earlier this week where, uh, Devontae had eight points and, and five turnovers in this one, whereas Sharon Collins had 10 points and, and five turnovers in the Northern Iowa loss in uh, 2010. But the big difference is uh, Sharon took twice as many shots in that Northern Iowa game and um, really yeah, kind of shot him out of the game when, you know, sharing the ball might have, uh, well, they, they probably would have won the game if he would have probably shared the ball a little bit more. But, you know, Devontae, I think, kind of recognized that he wasn't feeling it. And who knows how much the kid he took on the head uh, played a part in that, but um, you know he recognized that you know this team has a lot of good weapons, and, and you know the way the defense keys on him, regardless of the the shooting that he's having, you know you you can't leave him alone to shoot a three, so uh, he's going to have uh, a wide berth to make plays, and and he did that, and most notably to Newman. But I think the good news for Kansas going into this weekend here is. You know, uh, there, we're we're making a lot of assumptions here that he's going to be, you know, well rested and, and healthy and everything. But if he is, you know, Kansas just survived, uh, you know, probably his worst game of the season uh, and won. And you got to think that if he is healthy and, and if he is rested, he's not going to have uh, another one of those for quite a while. So that should be definitely good news for Kansas going into the weekend. Yeah, you know, and and honestly, kind of like we've talked about in previous podcasts, Devontae Graham had a really you know, really bad game. He was really off. Mitch Lightfoot didn't really do much because of the matchup with Delgado. You know, Azubuke did semi-decent on defense, but offensively he wasn't really that great either. You know, he only had seven total rebounds, only one of them on the offensive end. He only scored 10 points, um, you know, playing 22 minutes. So it's not like he, you know, was, was dominant either. You know, we've, we've, we've talked in the past about how for this team to really lay down and lose, it requires at least two of our guys to be off. Well, we just had a game where 
honestly, I would say probably three of the more important guys on the team didn't really play very well. And yet Malik Newman went off and, and saved the team, you know, saved the game for us. So, um, you know, just the fact that there are so many options, so many guys that can take over the game and whose play single-handedly can kind of make up for deficiencies elsewhere makes this a very dangerous team. It also makes it a very underrated team. You know, I, I think people are seeing all these off nights by all these guys, but what what they're failing to realize is that almost every time we've had an off night, we have another guy there to kind of pick up the team and, and, and pick up the slack there. So um, let's let's go ahead and look ahead, unless you want to talk specifically about Newman in this game. He, he did score 28 points, um, went four of eight from three, went four of six from two, uh, had eight eight free throws that he made. Actually, made, made all eight of his three, free throw attempts, but – um, other than to say, you know, he was completely balling out the whole game. I, I don't know what else there is to say about him. Any other thoughts you wanted right. to share before we move on? Well, I, I guess I just want to make the point, like you said, where none of these guys played well, and, and this is kind of one of those things where I think this team gets um, fairly at times and, and probably unfairly at times pegged as being not very tough. And I think that a lot of people, when they say that, kind of, um, you know, confuse toughness with good at defense. And this team's certainly not good at defense. I mean, they were not in that game uh, against Seton Hall. But, you know, I, I think they showed a lot of toughness in that, um, you know, they they built that lead and, and kind of were giving it up a couple of times and, and just kind of every possession where they needed to have a, a score, they got one, whether that was, you know, someone going to the rack or, or getting a three-pointer off or, or what may be. Um, but, but every single time they needed to, to have a basket, they got one. And to me, uh, you know, that's a little bit of a different way to be tough, um, but it's it's still toughness. You know, you, you go into those close games, and um, frankly, I'm, I, I'm kind of surprised they won, given how they played, to be honest with you. But um, I, I don't know that every KU team that Bill Self has ever had uh, would have won that game uh, playing like they did on the defensive end and, and having their best player play like they did. So, uh, definitely, I, I think I gained a lot more respect for for the team as a whole, uh, the way they came out with a win in that one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and 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 I will say, I think that this entire first weekend has kind of proven. Um, I think you've you've talked about this specifically in the past that um, a good offensive team is much more important come tournament time than a good defensive team. Like if you had to pick one or the other. I think every time you want to have a good offensive team over a good defensive team. I'm, I'm looking on Ken Palm, and, and while the two obvious examples of Virginia and Cincinnati, um, you know, as the number one and two defensive teams, um, both out of out of the tournament at this point, and getting kind of undone by a, a, a team that was pretty good at offense, just getting really really hot. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's hard to it's hard to really argue with that now. There are quite a few highly ranked defensive teams that are still in the tournament, but they also have, for the most part, other than Syracuse, um, either either have extenuating circumstances like a Texas A&M that's just, you know, the bottom fell out um, on their offense. And, you know, so they, they're definitely talented enough to be a good offensive team and just didn't, you know, didn't really get a chance to pick it back up. Um, or they also have a good offense as well, like like Duke. Duke is a number, you know, is, is number eight in defense number three in offense. So they, you know, they kind of fit the mold of having a good offensive team. Um, teams like, like Michigan, you know, they're ranked number 38 offensively overall, but, you know, they've been on an extremely hot streak offensively. And, and to be honest, you could make the argument that they really should have lost that game against Houston. Um, you know, so you could, you can kind of make the argument there. 
Um, you know, I, I do think the fact that once you get to tournament time, having a good defense, while it's important, is nowhere near as important as having an offense that, whether it's rated highly or not, can be very explosive at times. And Kansas has definitely shown that with Malik Newman able to go off at any time. You know, all these outside shooters can really go off at any point. It's just a matter of finding out who's hot in any, in any particular night. So. Are you are you uh, kind of on board with that? You know that really the offense is is much more important this this time of the year. Or, or yeah, yeah I've, I mean I've yeah I've I've always thought that. I mean I think defenses get a lot tighter during the tournament just because you have uh, more time and, and more energy invested in scouting your opponents. Um, obviously, you know there are teams that maybe don't try so hard on defense during the season, uh, or at least for for part of games anyway that will uh, during the tournament. But also, I mean, you look at, I mean, this, this Eden Hall game is not a very good example, but there are certainly games Kansas has had where they haven't really played great defense, but they've had stretches of, of holding teams without field goals for, for minutes at a time because they just are missing shots and that's going to happen. So um, you're going to get some of those free passes as a defense uh, a little bit more often than you are as an offense um, where you, you really need to be able to, to put the ball in the hole consistently. And um, I, I think there's a lot more must-score possessions than there are must-stop possessions. So, yeah, obviously you want to be good at both, and, and you really want to be great at both. But uh, if you if you can only be great at one, I would pick offense over defense uh, every time for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. All right, so let's go ahead and look ahead. Obviously, the one matchup we know we're getting this weekend is against Clemson. Um, Clemson, in their last game, just completely blasted Auburn, um, which was was a little surprising, but the more you kind of look at the SEC this year, you know, I don't know that I was necessarily too surprised that a, that a Clemson team that seemed to find themselves on offense was able to explode against an Auburn team that had been struggling recently. So, um, what were your thoughts on that game? Like, do you do you really take anything from that particular performance, um, or was it really just a case of like the perfect storm for Clemson going against a kind of a, a slumping Auburn team? Uh, you don't know. I actually watched zero seconds uh, of that game, to be honest. Oh, really? With you. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't really think that you know game to game momentum matters. I mean, you look at Kansas last year; they you know obliterated Purdue. Uh, and then you know lost to Oregon, so uh, I don't I don't really buy into that at all. Obviously, um, you know Clemson has um, uh, what's his face uh, Dante Grantham injured, but uh, Auburn was dealing with an injury to one of its best players as well, and, and they really had not been the same since that happened. So I, I was kind of uh, not expecting a blowout to this proportion, but was kind of expecting uh, Clemson to win. Um, the other thing too, I'm just looking at the box score here. Uh, looks like Auburn got off quite a few threes, and, and you can't really get off that many threes without some of them being somewhat open. And, and they were only seven of 32 from three. So you know, if they make a, a more reasonable percentage from three, they're obviously not going to come back and, and win the game or anything like that. But it's probably a little bit more of a normal looking score. So I don't really uh, buy anything or uh, put any stock into that i don't know that it affects my opinion of the game coming up on friday at all but um you know i i guess you could say uh you could take it as a negative that hey they're they're rolling and really playing well um or you could take it as a positive as you know this team uh, has definitely had some issues you know overlooking some teams that they quote unquote 
uh, should beat this year, and, and you think a Clemson team that doesn't have a, a ton of history and stuff is one of those teams that they quote-unquote should beat, but this just ensures that they're not going to look past them if you want to look on the bright side of things. True. Yeah, yeah. That that should definitely be a good advantage to take that we're not going to, you know, they're definitely not going to go into this game looking ahead to a, a potential matchup against Duke. So, all right. So I, I saw your scouting reports you had for Clemson, and I'm I'm actually talking with the guys over at uh, Shaking the Southland, which is the, the Clemson SB Nation site. I'll be getting a Q&A up there later this week. But uh, any anything from Clemson itself that kind of sticks out as a as something to worry about in this game? Yeah, I think the the first two things uh, that jump out are, are one they take quite a few threes, uh, about forty percent of their shots, um, and they shoot not a super high percentage, but you know thirty seven ish percent on the season, which is certainly high enough to cause some problems if they are hitting. And the other thing with that, you know, thirty seven percent if that is your quote-unquote true talent. I mean, you've got a lot of games where you're shooting, you know, 45% and higher in you. So uh, Kansas is going to have to avoid one of those, definitely. Um, and the other thing in terms of personnel, um, their big man, Elijah Thomas, who 6'9", so Kansas is definitely not going to be overwhelmed by his size. I mean, Azubuki is going to have a really nice matchup against him, I think, uh, because he is a little bit more of a, a finesse big man rather than a, a strong big man like Angel Delgado or like Asagaba Kanate for West Virginia. But uh, the the problem is that he's, you know, a pretty good scorer. Uh, he moves the ball pretty well, uh, which is a little bit of a problem. Um, and defensively, you know, he's one of the better shot blockers around. So uh, Kansas is probably going to want to not uh, challenge him too much um, inside. And as we know, in that West Virginia game, especially, you know, they have they have some problems where uh, they will definitely want to keep challenging a guy and, and want to score on a guy inside like that. And uh, if they do that too often in Clemson, I mean, it, it could be an issue. Um, but uh, I'm a little skeptical of uh, Clemson's ability to stick in front of KU's guards when they uh, kind of do their their weave action, especially. Um, I think that will work. Uh, and I think if Kansas is just kind of sharing the ball in general, uh, Clemson kind of has a little bit of an issue recovering to shooters off the ball at times. So I think Kansas can, can take advantage of that as well. So probably, you know, pass the ball into Azubuki a little bit, try to get some fouls uh, inside and, and get um, uh, get uh, Thomas on the bench and then, um, you know, go into that weave action and, and try to get some open threes. So uh, not not terribly worried, but it's definitely one where if, if they're shooting well and Kansas isn't, I mean, they're they're probably – it's probably uh, they're going to lose rather than they could lose. Right, right. Well, I mean, and, and I think that's kind of normal for this Kansas team, though. If they're not shooting well, especially from three, um, you know, it's definitely going to be a tough night for them. But, sure. you know, the other thing to keep to keep in mind, you know, I, I live here in ACC country, so I, I get to kind of see Clemson a little bit more often than I'd like to. And the one thing I've kind of noticed from them is that they have problems um, with fouling. Like if they can't stay in front of a guy, they end up fouling him on really, really bad, you know, just like random ticky tack fouls. Um, they've, they've been getting called for them too. So like, there's a lot of teams that will, you know, kind of swipe at a guy a little bit as, as he goes by and, and the rest will let it go. Clemson hasn't been fortunate in that, in that sense, but they also tend to swipe at people a lot more. Um, Kansas has some pretty quick guards, so I'm expecting them to kind of be able to take advantage of that. And, um, 
Elijah Thomas himself has had some issues with, with, with fouling. So if they can get into Azubuke and kind of dump it in low a lot, they can get him in foul trouble really quickly. Um, it's just a matter of, of how well he's going to be able to get that shot blocking going. Um, I actually see a guy like Mitch Lightfoot as kind of being a little, um, a little bit of a secret weapon here, just because of how active he is and kind of the, the weird angles that he comes in at in order to, to go ahead and block shots. Um, you know, Thomas it doesn't necessarily have the best awareness from what I've seen inside, especially when he kind of zeroes in on, on trying to score. So that may be something where they could potentially take advantage of that. Um, you know, of, of course, now that I say all this, you know, it's it's not going to be anything like that. And Clemson <laughs> yeah, is going to tear us up inside. But um, there, there are definitely a lot of ways that Kansas can attack them and kind of take advantage of those weaknesses. Fouling is definitely, I think, going to be one of the keys. We've got, you know, we might get some West Virginia style complaints after this one because Kansas is usually pretty good about playing solid defense without fouling um, for the most part. And Clemson tends to foul people quite a bit and gets frustrated when they get, get called for fouls. So I'm, I'm hoping yeah, one, that that's uh, true to form. Oh, sorry about that. No, no, go ahead. Um, one, one other uh, piece of good news is, is Clemson really does not attack the offensive glass at all. Uh, 235th nationally and, and 10th in ACC play uh, in offensive rebounding. Thomas is really the only guy who does it uh, at all. Um, so if Kansas can play, you know, sound first shot defense and enforce a, a tough look, um, they, they should be able, you know, to to get the rebound uh, more often than they're used to, which is, you know, just a, a few extra possessions they're going to be able to get. Um, and, you know, Clemson also doesn't force a lot of turnovers, so that's a few more extra possessions that they're going to get. So um, I think Clemson is going to have to shoot quite a bit better than Kansas uh, in order to win, and, and I think with the way that Kansas has the ability to shoot the ball, I think that's, you know, certainly doable, but I just think it's going to be pretty tough uh, for them to do. Yeah, one one final point to kind of keep in mind is that Clemson is not a very good team at or I should say that they, they have a tendency to get their shots blocked a lot more often than you would think, um, especially for a team that has a little bit of size inside. Um, they 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 get blocked on 10.6% of their possessions, um, which is 275th nationally. And in, in uh, ACC play, it's been even worse. So when they're playing the best competition, it's, at, it's on 15% of their possessions. So that's a big area that Kansas can look to play that interior defense and get some good blocks on their shots because they have not been very good at it at all this year. Um, so hopefully Kansas can, can take advantage. I think that's really going to kind of be the key. So I do think too, that uh, this kind of flies directly in the face of a point I made earlier, but I do think that if both uh, Elijah Thomas and Yudoka Azubuki are in foul trouble, um, I think it's advantage Kansas. Uh, Silvio DeSosa hasn't really recaptured, the magic of, of Big 12 tournament weekend, but you know he's got the ability uh, to play well. Um, I think this is a, a good matchup for Mitch uh, in terms of maybe not with Thomas, although I think he'd be fine against Thomas, but uh, especially against those backups, you know, they don't really have the size or strength to be able to bully him and aren't really the, the type of offensive uh, players that are really going to go at him anyway, so he can kind of focus on being a help defender. So, um, I think, you know, it's kind of weird to say that when, you know, Yudoka Azubuki is, uh, at worst, their second most important player. But, um, you know, it, it does seem weird to say that you would take that trade of, of taking both of them off the floor versus having both of them on. But I think that that would be a, a trade that Kansas 
would come out ahead and more often than not. Well, I think it's also kind of what we've been talking about all year with this Kansas team is that they don't have as many bodies um, in, in terms of depth. But if you look at each individual one that they have, they definitely rate favorably. Um, you know, the the starting lineup, Kansas probably had the best starting lineup in the Big 12 this year. Um, and in terms of just if you only look like two or three deep, so they, you know, they had the best seven or eight combined. But once you get past that, they obviously don't have anybody. So, um, you know, I think that kind of holds true throughout most of the throughout most of college basketball is that Kansas, you know, they will stack up pretty well one through six or one through seven, um, you know, and, and that's kind of where where Mitch falls. So if, if you take Osbuke out, you know, we're still in that six, seven range, which really, really helps Kansas out. So. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. If if that's the way it's going to be, like if if, if Osibuke's out, if we can have Thomas out too, then that's definitely an advantage, Kansas. So, all right. And any other final thoughts about the Clemson game? Uh, well, you know, I, I think one one quick thing, yeah, to piggyback off that point you just made, I just looked up. Uh, Clemson does give a few more minutes uh, to their bench, but it's nothing, you know, nothing outrageously different from Kansas and. Um, right. Just looking at their numbers, I will take uh, you know, Marcus Garrett and if, if Silvio is at his best and Mitch over the the guys that uh Clemson's trotting out there on their bench. So uh if it is a bench game I, I definitely like Kansas. Um and and I also like Kansas if uh Clemson's not just going off from three. So if if that doesn't happen, I think Kansas is a chance. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, so um let's let's look ahead then to a potential second game of the weekend um you know it's it's an it's basically it's an it's an ACC invitational in the Midwest region other than Kansas you know being the one seed up there um with with Duke and Syracuse both set on the other side potentially trying to get to that to that elite eight matchup so obviously you have to favor Duke in that matchup they are by far the better team but as it always seems to be the case when Syracuse sneaks into the tournament and nobody thinks that they belong they they go on a run and you know when they when they get into the tournament and people think that they're, you know, have a decent shot, they they lose in the first round. So um, everybody complained about Syracuse getting in, and I was afraid it was going to happen, but I really didn't want it to. Um, Syracuse, you know, went from that first four game as the last team into the field and is now in a Sweet 16, um, just one more upset, you know, from getting to another Elite Eight as a double-digit seed. Um, you know, are you are you concerned about that game at all, or I mean, do you do you really give Syracuse any kind of legitimate shot to beat Duke in that game? Uh, so I'm I'm concerned about the Elite Eight if we play Duke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 not at all if we play Syracuse. To be honest with you, I mean Kansas has already uh, beat them pretty handily once, and I think Kansas is better than they were now. And and I don't think I think Syracuse has probably gotten worse uh, from where they were. So. Uh, definitely not worried at all if if they play. Of course, that's you know that's the one they're going to lose is if they play Syracuse. So I guess I shouldn't get too ahead of myself, but um, I I don't really uh foresee them having any chance against Duke. To be honest with you, I mean one one potential uh thing is that they can you know rebound the ball pretty well uh, against Duke's weird little zone that they play that isn't really that good, but for some reason that flummoxed everyone, but um, I'm just looking at the box score from their first game and uh, Syracuse held Duke to, I think, their worst offensive performance of the ACC season. Um, some of that is just because I think they got a little bit unlucky from three. Um, but, you know, Syracuse um, lost by 
16 points because they also had their worst offensive output of the ACC season. So uh, I don't know how much I trust Syracuse to score against them. Um, obviously, their offense isn't what carried them uh, against Michigan State um, or against TCU for that matter. So uh, they're really going to have to make it ugly uh, to have any you know chance of, of winning that game. And I just I guess I don't really see how they can how that can happen. But you know they've they've done it before. So if they get Right. One of these, you know, if they get one of these games where they get like a major outlier from three and, you know, make 40% of their threes instead of 32% of their threes, then yeah, I guess it's possible, but I would be, I would be pretty shocked if it happens. Yeah. The only thing I can tell you is that, you know, you were talking about, you know, they got to make it ugly and it seems like they just had two of those games. They made it ugly against TCU and won that game and they made it ugly against Michigan State, a team that, you know, nobody really gave them much of a shot against. Um, and, and I will note, you know, note here that when they beat Michigan State in that game, they only went one of eight from three. So it's not like they, you know, lit it up from three. They they were able to hold a very good offensive team um, in Michigan State. You know, Michigan State had the, the 14 rated offense and the 11th rated defense. And yet somehow Syracuse's zone was able to really take them out of that game completely. Um, you know, I don't know how much of that was the guys just really having a bad game or how much of that was the weird quirky zone that Syracuse runs um, taking them out of their game. But, you know, I mean, Michigan state was a really trendy final four national champion pick and Syracuse was able to muddy that game up. Um, They did the same sort of thing against TCU. Although, you know, I don't think that one was as much of a surprise just given some of the struggles that TCU had after losing Jalen Fisher. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm really, I'm really kind of at a loss to explain what's going on with this Syracuse team. I wouldn't really be shocked. Like that's, that's definitely not the biggest upset potentially coming um, for the rest of the tournament. But, you know, I definitely have to agree with you that I would much rather face a Syracuse team than a Duke team. Um, so I, I don't know that it makes sense necessarily to preview that game at this point, other than, you know, is there, is there anything specific that you'd be looking for, either looking forward to or really not looking forward to seeing, assuming that Kansas plays Duke? Uh, I, I mean, I, I just think that, you know, Duke is uh, probably the toughest matchup for Kansas. Um, you know, obviously they're really good, but, you know, they're they're kind of right around the range of, like, Virginia, uh, Purdue, um, actually quite a bit better than Purdue, so that's maybe not a, a good example. But just just looking at the teams in Kempom, they're right around. I mean, I would feel a lot comfortable, more comfortable with Kansas playing those teams just just for the matchup issues. So it's like, yeah, yeah, Duke's better uh, than Kansas, I think. But uh, the reason that I'm afraid of them isn't because of how much better they are. It's it's just because of the matchup. I mean, they number one offensive rebounding team in the country, uh, which in and of itself is a problem. Um, the, the good news is, I guess, if you're looking at, at good news, is they don't take a lot of threes, um, and they allow uh, quite a few more now than their uh, their 143rd in Ken Palm, but that's obviously full season and, and doesn't account for the switch when they went to that zone. Um, so, I'm, I mean, if, if Kansas has a hot shooting night, uh, and I mean, a, you know, close to 50% shooting night, which they, they certainly can do. Um, but, you know, if, if they do that and then, you know, Duke has an off shooting night, yeah, it's, it's certainly possible, but um, I would not be uh, terribly confident, to be honest with you. I just think that, 
you know, you, Duke would almost need to screw up more than anything uh, for Kansas to beat them, uh, just because I don't really know what answer they have uh, for Marvin Bagley inside. And, and if you do stop in, then you've got Wendell Carter Jr. to deal with. And um, their guards I'm not as afraid of, but it's just the big men. I mean, I don't really know what you do. Kansas just doesn't have the depth inside to, to handle uh, all those guys. Yeah, I think really that that's going to be the key of the game. You know, if, if Kansas can get hot from three, then they're going to stay in it. But really it's going to come down to how well can they keep Bagley and the guys inside from just completely tearing them up. Um, if Azubuke can stay in the game, not deal with a lot of fouls. Um, you know, I, I've been listening to a bunch of other guys, and I think the consensus is that KU is going to have to try to go two big men against Duke just because of who they have. I don't know that that's necessarily going to be successful just because Kansas hasn't done that a lot. Um, I do think Kansas would stick with the four-guard lineup and would try to draw out the second big man that Duke has on the floor and try to use that to their advantage because Duke do, does have some good big guys, but they're not particularly quick. Um, so I think that's kind of the best bet that Kansas has is not to try to to match up with them strictly you know, with their big guys. It's more to try to use the mismatches that, that having a four-guard lineup gives them. Um, and use that to their advantage and then get open threes. If they're not making threes, then they, I don't think they have any shot at winning the game. So it's really going to be about getting the guys open from the three-point line and, and then knocking down those threes. And if that happens, I do think that Kansas has a really good shot of moving on to the Final Four finally. Um, you know, yeah, I think uh, – I mean, it, it sounds like I'm babbling when talking about how Kansas beats Duke, but that's because I, I really – I honestly have, like, no idea what they would do. I mean, thank God Bill Self's the one who would have to figure that out to not Yeah, know, exactly. But, um, one one thing I, I definitely agree with you on, though, is that I don't think Kansas can match up big men to big men. I mean, I think that takes away the few advantages that Kansas has is that, you know, you have to make do guard your four guards. Um, I mean, you just you just have to punish them uh, on the other end for putting all that size out there. Um, and that's really the only way to do it is with those four guards. So that's yeah. one thing, I mean, I, I, I definitely agree with you on, but. Other than that, yeah, I mean, I think the only answer really is just shoot, you know, 53s and hope you make 30 of them or something. Yeah, and I mean, and in a way, you know, I think Mitch Lightfoot is going to be a much better offensive option for just the entire offense, not not individually over Azubuke. But I just think his ability to kind of play from the outside and to, to help stretch the floor more um, is definitely going to be helpful against big guys like, like Bagley, whereas Azubuke is going to, you know, if he's in and kind of, you know, uh, posting up and, and just kind of camping down low, it's going to make it a lot easier for them to really pack the lane and keep our guards from from getting good good driving shots or um, you know from really kind of spacing things out. So, in a lot of ways, I think Mitch is going to be a better offensive option just from a total game plan game plan point. But on the defense, he gives up so much that I'm just not sure how Bill Self is going to handle it. Um, though the hope is that they can kind of figure something out and somebody can can man the inside well enough to kind of rattle Duke a little bit. But, um, you know, it's 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 kind of funny that this is the one year of the last few where, you know, I think Kansas is probably not expected to get to the final four past this Duke team. Um, you know, and, and this very well may be the year that they finally make it to the final four and, and you know, <laughs> instead of losing in the Elite Eight in games that they really should have won. So, um, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened, but I'm not really going to count on it. Unfortunately, I do think that we're looking at another Elite Eight loss. Um, I don't. I, I would hope that if that happens again, that people are not going to hold that against Bill Self, you know, for losing as the one seed against a team that honestly I thought I thought Duke was was uh, 
a little bit, a little, well, it's kind of hard to say they were underseeded just given the other teams. I thought Duke might have deserved that one over Xavier, but Xavier had, a, you know, the, uh, um, the uh, ability to get the, the regular season wins that Duke just wasn't able to get. Um, it was really an unfortunate draw for Kansas to have Duke in their, you know, in their region as the number two um, instead of, you know, I would, I would have much rather had, had North, North Carolina um, switched over here. And, and honestly, the only reason we didn't get North Carolina is because uh, they wanted to make sure that they kind of balanced the regions out a little bit more. So not putting Duke over there with Xavier, uh, you know, un- un- unfortunately didn't really work out well for us though. So. All right. So uh, real quick before we get out of here, let's, you know, the big 12 had four teams make it to the sweet 16. The first time that they've actually had a decent number make it in quite a long time. Kansas state with obviously the, uh, the wonderful upset from UMBC allowed Kansas State to get to the Sweet 16. And, um, you know, undeservedly, I think Bruce Weber is getting a lot of credit for making the Sweet 16. Um, you know, can't really fault him for taking advantage of the, the path that got there in front of him. But you also can't really, you know, give him too much praise for it, I don't think, at this point. But also Texas Tech and West Virginia over there in the east, both getting past um, semi, semi-easily in, in, their, in their road to the Sweet 16 as well. They are both set up to play. Tech, Texas Tech will be playing Purdue on Friday, and then West West Virginia will be facing off against Villanova. Are you giving any of those three, uh, with with Kansas State facing Kentucky, any of those three a good chance to get to the Elite Eight? Uh, man, I mean, I, I think honestly, I think all three of them could kind of go either way. Uh, the one thing uh, with Kansas State um, is that Kentucky gives up. Just a ton of threes. I mean, they're they're. I think they're the worst team in the tournament left. And uh, for whatever reason, teams are shooting under thirty percent from three against them this year. So uh, at some point, I think they're due for a game where a team actually like makes their threes and beats them. Um, K State's not a great three point shooting team, but you know they have guys uh, who can make them. Um, I mean, it would be very helpful if Dean Wade would play, obviously, because I think he's uh, a really tough matchup, but. Um, I think I think that one, you know, I think we'll probably have to wait another game for Kentucky to lose. Um, Texas Tech, you know, kind of the, the same deal where they give up, you know, their fair share of threes and produce one of the best three-point shooting teams uh, in the country. So um, kind of, you know, I'm kind of thinking Purdue is going to get that one. I also don't really know what Texas Tech is going to do with um, Matt Harms inside. And, and if Isaac Hoff plays as well, that's going to be kind of an interesting um interesting you know two-man tower for them to stop um but certainly i mean chris beard's a smart guy i mean i think that you know if if they do shut down that that three-point offense i mean you you never know uh west virginia i don't really give them too much chance to be honest with you and um, i think they're probably the best uh team of the other three uh between tech and and k-state and them but villanova is just so good i mean i don't really um, I actually think they're going to win the whole thing. So uh, just a tough matchup for West Virginia. I don't really think they're going to be able to turn them over that often with that press. And, um, you know, Villanova's not a, a great defensive team, so maybe West Virginia can get some points and stuff. But uh, I just think it's going to be just going to be a little too tough for them to, to hold Villanova off the board. So um, if you're looking for, for like, a record, I, I think um, – you know, I, I think one and three is probably the most likely, um, but I definitely think that, you know, two and two is possible. Uh, three and one and four and all are probably a little bit, 
a little bit too uh, optimistic, but uh, I guess you never know. I mean, the Big 12 has been the best uh, league in the country all year, so uh, this would be a good time to show it. Yeah, yeah. I think that Kansas State will have a decent shot if Dean Wade is actually able to play and be effective. You know, the one thing with Kentucky is that they're not very good at causing turnovers. Um, so, you know, they're not really going to turn over a lot of people. Uh, and, you know, a big portion of their defense, you're right, has been that, that three-point percentage shooting, which, you know, we've talked about time and time again, that that really isn't a lot of control of the defense. So the fact that they're number two, you know, only allowing 29.8% from their opponents on three per, on three pointers um, isn't really under their control, and so you would think there'd be some sort of regression to the mean there. Um, Kansas State definitely has a good shot, but yeah, it will definitely require Dean Wade coming back and having a good game. Um, Kansas isn't def, definitely is not the best team to kind of take advantage of of either of those two weaknesses. But Kentucky is also like most of these teams has shown the ability to just have a real big head scratcher out of nowhere and. I think it would be, you know, poetic justice for John Calipari, you know, getting all upset about the row that he had to take in order to be able to get to the final four. And it completely opens up for him. And then he loses that first game in the Sweet 16. Like, I think that would be the ultimate poetic justice there for him. So I'm really, really pulling for that one. Um, as for West Virginia, I do, I, I do agree that they kind of have the toughest road. The one thing I will say about West Virginia is that, you know, they, um, they actually do have, I think, the best defensive style to really take advantage of, of Villanova's weaknesses. Um, not saying that there are a ton of weaknesses for them to really take advantage of. And, and Ken Palm definitely agrees, you know, that they're, they're going to have some problems there. But, um, you know, Villanova doesn't typically turn the ball over very well, but they also have played in a league where most of the teams aren't very good at forcing turnovers. So I think that kind of inflates their number a little bit. Um, you know, they, they are definitely, the strongest team left here in the in the in the uh, tournament, but they're definitely not unbeatable. Um, but I would have to say, yeah, I definitely don't think that I, I'm not counting on West Virginia moving on. Texas Tech, on the other hand, I think they matched up pretty well against Purdue. Um, you know, Purdue losing losing Isaac Haas as um, at center, I think that's a much bigger problem. Um, you know, than they really are, are, are letting on the fact he's not going to be able to play. And, you know, they, they really didn't um, have an opportunity to really have it hurt them too much just because, uh, you know, there was only a day or so to kind of, for them to, to really have to worry about that. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not really necessarily that concerned that Texas Tech won't be able to find good ways to attack them. And, uh, hold on just a second. I just clicked on the wrong thing. I'm trying to pull up Purdue's numbers right now. So so Purdue, I mean, yeah, they are one of the better three-point shooting teams. Um, so that is definitely something that kind of helps them. But Butler Butler had a lot of opportunities in that game. Um, to be honest, you can say that Butler probably should have won that game, and they just kind of had a couple big errors down the stretch. Um, if they had had a little bit more time to prepare for that, I think they could have gotten a better game plan together. And, and Texas Tech, you know, has a guy in Keenan Evans that can just take that game over. I think he can match – anything that um, that Purdue can throw at them from the three-point line. So I'm not, you know, I definitely give Texas Tech a, a, a 50% chance at least of, of uh, moving on. Ken, Ken Palm doesn't agree with me, but I really do think that Texas Tech is going to move on. Plus, I also picked them to get to the Elite Eight in my initial bracket, and I'm not going to go away from that now, especially since Purdue has lost probably one of their most important players in that center. So, um, and then, of course, Kansas, you know, I, I think I think Kansas is a pretty safe bet to move on. So I would say probably two and two is what's most likely. I do think that Texas 
Tech and Kansas are probably the two teams that are going to move on. Um, so, real quick before we get out of here, so now, now that we know the Sweet 16 field, if you if you uh, were asked for your final four teams right now, who do you think that they're going to be? I'll, I'll jump in there real quick. I, I still have Villanova coming out, and, and Kansas is actually who I had picked. Uh, I did think that Kansas was going to get the upset over Duke. I don't know that I'm necessarily super confident in that pick, but that's who I'm you know going to go ahead and stick with. I do think that Kentucky comes out of that South region now. As much as I want to see them get upset, I just don't see it happening. Um, and then coming out of that West region, you know, I didn't I didn't pick them before. Uh, I had North Carolina. They obviously got completely trashed. So uh, I think I'm going to go with Gonzaga at this point with as the, the, the highest seed left there. Um, although I wouldn't be shocked to see Texas A&M come out there. They're finally putting everything together. And, and I do think they're a much more dangerous team than people give them credit for. Yeah, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go Villanova and Duke. Um, I think they're the two best teams right now. Right. Um, Villanova has the, uh, you know, the disadvantage, I guess, of of having the toughest uh, group left. I mean, they. I think they certainly oh, yeah, could lose. Uh, I think they certainly could lose to all three of those teams. Uh, Duke, you're right. I mean, I, I think Kansas definitely could get them. Um, just. You know, I think Duke's a little bit better, and, and the the matchup thing I just can't get out of my head. So, uh, the other two I think are the ones where that are uh, a little bit tougher. Um, I don't have a bracket pulled up right now, so I'm I'm going off the top of my head here, but um, I'm going with Nevada. I think that they're gonna uh, be able to beat Kentucky. I just think it's a, a matchup issue where um, I don't think their um, their guards are outclassed by Kentucky's at all to be honest with you, and I just think they're going to be able to, to get off a lot of threes and make them. Uh, and then in that other uh, bracket, I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take Michigan. Um, they're they're playing really well. I uh, really like John Beeline uh, as a coach. Um, and, and maybe there's a little bit of uh, symmetry where, you know, North Carolina almost lost their second-round game to Arkansas, didn't play very well. So, you know, Michigan didn't play very well in their second-round game either, and then maybe they're going to ride that to, to the Final Four. But um, I just think that they're a little bit better uh, than Gonzaga, but I think those two teams certainly would uh, have the best chance in that region. Yeah, and so just off so a final thought, you know, was in terms of what I want to see happen is I would like Kansas to be able to just kind of beat Duke to to shut everyone up about, you know, who Kansas played and then get revenge on Villanova in the final four and then revenge over Michigan in the championship game. That'd be like the ultimate. Yeah, that would be, yeah, that would be great. So yeah, hopefully, you know, we get to next week and we can have a podcast talking about how Kansas has the opportunity to do that, to beat Villanova in the final four, to get revenge and then to go ahead and get that ultimate revenge over Michigan for that absolutely horrible loss that I'll never forget. Unless we beat them this year, because that would be awesome. So, all yeah. right, and maybe uh maybe a maybe a sunflower showdown national title game. You know, I I could go for that too. So if if the final four was Kansas and versus Villanova, and then Kansas State versus Michigan, like as long as Kansas went ahead and beat Villanova, I don't think I would be upset with either of those games. You know, unless unless we lost to K State, because that would be absolutely horrible to lose to Kansas State. Yeah, that'd be in the championship. That'd be pretty rough to beat them three times and then lose. The and then lose, it, yeah, yeah, but. Oh, well. All right. Any other final thoughts before we get out of here for the night? Uh, nope. All right. Sounds sounds good. So just just just, just a reminder of those listening, um, you guys can, can catch us on Twitter at Rock Chalk Talk. You can email us, um, SS, I'm sorry, RCTSBN at gmail.com. That's Rock Chalk Talk SB Nation at gmail.com. Um, you can contact me or Fetch directly on Twitter. Uh, you know, catch us on the site. 
definitely go ahead for those of you listening if, if you haven't already find us on iTunes go ahead and subscribe like us you know five star ratings all that fun stuff it really does help you get our name out there and, and allow other people to get connected with the podcast here so um, and, and as always if you do have any suggestions for us or any questions you want to ask us definitely go ahead and shoot those over we, we like to get your guys questions on here it definitely gives us more to talk about it makes it a little easier to get through this uh, you know if we have interaction from, from, the, from the other fans and, and from those that are actually paying attention to the podcast so definitely get all that in for us um, but hopefully we have some good games this weekend and we enjoy the results and we're not talking about the end of the season next week so we will catch you guys next week though um, so, so make sure you do stay tuned for that and uh, thanks again for listening and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Talk Podcast Sports Social Podcast Network With Lucky Land Slots you can get lucky just about anywhere Dearly beloved we are gathered here today to Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.